This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. If you're wondering about how to escape the corporate world and go full-time in real estate investing, this is the interview for you. Our guest today, John Kasman, did exactly that. He started in the corporate world in marketing and plotted his way out through real estate investing, gradually building his portfolio and eventually seeing an opportunity to exit and go full-time in real estate. Today, you're going to learn his most important lessons, building that initial portfolio, and then also what it takes to succeed as a full-time real estate investor, how to keep yourself on track, how to set priorities, how to schedule your day so that you're getting the most important things done in your real estate investments, but also keeping the most important things in your life in mind, your family, your quality of life is important as well when you go full-time in real estate. And today we dig into how John compartmentalizes, how he schedules his day so that he has time with his kids, with his wife, and also dedicates his time to getting the important things done in his real estate portfolio. There's a ton of lessons in this interview, especially for those of you who are plotting your way out through building your real estate portfolio. John is very experienced in this space and will teach you so much. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially partnering with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, once again, our guest today is John Kasman. We're digging into going full-time in real estate investing, important lessons learned, and what John would maybe do a little bit differently if he were to do it all over again. Without any further ado, let's go. John, thanks for joining us once again on the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Great to speak with you. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, catch us up to speed. Tell us what you're up to today, and then we'll go through your journey of going full-time in real estate. Well, Taylor, listen, it's great to be back here on the show. Uh, excited to talk to you and all your listeners. Uh, my background, I was in corporate America for 15 years. I did advertising and marketing for some big brands like Nike, Coors Light, Mountain Dew, uh, and other brands like that. Uh, and then eventually went full-time into real estate. And there were a couple of things that, that led to that, uh, one of which, and probably the first big one, was uh, being at GM when we went through bankruptcy. And that really showed me that no matter what you do, no matter what company you're at, you don't have full control over your future. And it helps to have a plan B. And real estate became that plan B for me. Uh, today, we work with other busy professionals to invest in real estate through apartment syndication. Uh, we have invested over $125 billion worth of apartments. And we're excited to continue to partner with other folks and continue to scale our portfolio. That's great. So how long have you been full-time for the listeners just to set the stage? Yeah, we're going to year five now. So I think we've been full-time about four years now, going to year five. That is pretty awesome. And today I want to learn more about that transition of going from full-time employee slash part-time evening real estate investor to full-time real estate investor, how you've kept yourself on track and everything like that. But first, let's start with that you know, transitionary period of how you got started full-time real estate investing. What did that look like? Was that a deliberate decision or a layoff or something else that brought you to full-time? Well, 
I definitely knew I wanted to make the transition. How I was going to get there was the, the question. Um, you know, going back to my time at GM back in 2008, 2009, going through bankruptcy, uh, just watching that firsthand and thinking about the anxiety I felt, yet alone the anxiety so many of my directors and, and other leadership uh, felt. I just realized that, you know, this would be my life for the next 30 years if I didn't take more control and do something different. You know, and I, I had plenty of time to think and I thought about like, OK, well, I'll just go get another job. It's great. I'll get another job. Of course, you could do that. Right. Um, but it's the same thing. You know, new company, same pressure, same anxiety, uh, politics. You're not someone's guy, whatever it is. At some point, I just was going to fall out of favor. And it doesn't matter how good you are. Um, we, were, we were kind of talking before we hit record, uh, but I just uh, was fortunate enough to do an interview with a guy who was my my very first mentor. And as an intern, he gave me some words of advice that have always stuck with me through my corporate career. And what he said was, and to set the stage, uh, I had probably been on a plane like once in my life at that point. And this guy was traveling all over to do these shoots. He was shooting commercials and uh, he had just come back from a commercial shoot launching a new product. And we were just interns, right? We're super excited. We're talking about it. What's it like? And, and for me, I'm picturing the day when I get to live that life, right? When I'm going on photo shoots and video shoots and I'm flying and staying in great hotels and everything's on a company dime, right? And what he what he said to me was, because he just saw how excited we were, he stopped and pulled out his business card. And he said, well, just keep in mind this. He said, everything that I just mentioned was for the title and the company, right? So that was the creative director of this advertising agency. It was not for my name. Right. I'm just in a seat. I'm in this position today. You want to hustle and you want to work for your name. You want to get these perks because it's you, not because you happen to be in a certain seat at a, per, a, a given moment in time. And that just was critical, I mean, especially when I went to the, the client side. When I was at General Motors, uh, there's some people who get caught up in their titles and where they're at. You know, and you have, and those are very envious jobs in Detroit, you know, to, to be an advertising director for a major automotive company, um, a lot of clients looked up to us, vendors, they would happily take us to lunch and want to wine and dine us and invite us to all sorts of fun things, right? Um, and I just had to remember that it wasn't it wasn't happening because of John Kasman. It was happening because I happened to be at a company in a position where that was valued. And I, I didn't internalize it to the point where I ever got those two things confused. And because of that, I always wanted to make my own path. So when it comes back to real estate investing, when I moved to Chicago and I left that company, I moved to Chicago, went to an advertising agency, and that's when I began investing. And what I realized there was that what I was doing was working, but it wasn't it wasn't quick enough to solve the challenges that I was facing, meaning enough cash flow to replace my income, uh, but also enough uh, financial freedom where I wasn't worried about losing my job. And ultimately that led me into, you know, apartment syndication and learning, learning how to raise money and partner with other people for deals. Uh, and I know you asked about specifically managing my time, but that was kind of the first part of that transition was really recognizing that just saving my own money and investing wasn't going to allow me to grow at the scale that I was looking for. Doing those first deals, I mean, it can be tough to get the snowball going to the point where you're you know, really ready to to make that switch. How much had you done by the time you made the leap and went full time? 
Yeah, so we had uh, built our own portfolio around 13 units, uh, valued at around $1.5 million. Then we went into syndication. I think we had done about four or five syndication deals at that point, Um, one or two as kind of the lead operator, and then the other like two or three as more of a general partner. So I'll say about, you know, five or six deals. Oh, including the ones in the personal portfolio, probably about seven or eight deals total uh, before making that transition. Wow. Okay. So I think a lot of folks, you know, looking to or thinking about making that leap, how prepared did you feel from, you know, a, a personal and financial standpoint, because you're going from some degree of certainty, if you will. Now you can debate how certain the corporate career is, but you're probably getting a decent sized paycheck to pretty significant uncertainty. You have passive cash flow coming in because you've been building that up, but there's no, again, certainty that you're going to be able to go find the next deal to get it done. Well, I think the biggest thing for me and what gave me comfort was believing in myself, not necessarily as a real estate investor, but just as someone who's resourceful enough to figure out how to make money. And my worst case scenario was I would just go back and get another job, right? Um, which I didn't want to do. No one wants to do that. But my worst case scenario was my current situation. And when you frame it up that way, it doesn't feel as risky, right? It's like, if I fail at this, I'll just go back to what I'm doing right now, right? Like if I try to move forward, I can just come back to where I am. So when I, when I looked at it that way, it gave me more comfort because there was no ceiling of what we could create, right? There's no top to investing in real estate. There's no top to partner with other people because now I'm not just limited to the amount of money I've saved in my bank account. I can partner with other people. We could go bigger and bigger or we can do different types of deals. So that was really intriguing to me. So I think the first thing is really be clear on what you want. And I, I go back to my time as an intern because it's funny. Um, one of the things that also happened as an intern, as you start to map out your future and I'm going to climb the corporate ladder and all this stuff, um, I remember talking to some of those senior leaders and they all had nannies. They weren't really present with their kids. They couldn't tell you what their kids were doing, how old they were, what school they It was just amazing to me, like how little time these people were spending with their kids because they were at work 60, 70, 80 hours throughout the week. And that was something that I knew I didn't want. So as I kind of progressed in my career, a part of the way I've made my decisions was, well, how much flexibility does this give me to, to be the kind of parent I want to be? Um, and, and early on when I didn't have kids, it didn't matter, right? But as I got to where I had young children, that became one of the things I really paid attention to is like, okay, well, hey, in order to continue to climb up at this company, I'm going to have to make some lateral moves. They're going to have to move me to Idaho or New Jersey or something like that to check a box to say, okay, I got this field time or this corporate experience that they want me to have. And I didn't want to do that, which is part of the reason I left GM in the first place to go to an advertising agency. So it just really, it comes down to building up skills and then getting to the point where you understand how to be resourceful. And if you can be resourceful, um, you'll be okay. And to give you an example of that, Coming out of that same internship, uh, there was a job in Cleveland. I wanted to go home because we were opening up a, a group home. And I wanted to make sure that no matter what, I got this job. It was on the Arby's account. And back at this time, Arby's had a campaign going with this um, this oven this uh, oven mitt, right? So literally this oven mitt thing was the cartoon character or whatever. And uh, I was looking around as part of my interview as a follow-up. I wanted to send a thank you note. I couldn't find an oven mitt. So I found... 
uh, a pot holder. <laughs> so I wrote, I, I colored this pot holder and I made eyes on it. I made it look just like the oven mitt. And I put a thank you note in there and I wrote a little story about this is P holder, P dot holder, because P Diddy was, he changed the name to P Diddy. So I wrote, this is P holder <laughs> and he's oven mitt's cousin. I wrote all this whole elaborate thing, right? My point is, do you think I stood out to them? Like, I, of course they remember me. They got this thing in the mail. Oh, crap. Like, this, this guy sent us this. When I got the job, my first day, that pot holder was on my boss's window seal, right? <laughs> and my point is, I felt confident enough in myself to be resourceful enough and essentially to, to be a, as much of a pest, if needed, that I would get a job. I wasn't worried about that. I knew I could outwork and out, I could just show up more than anyone else is willing to show up to get a job. I would do the things that other people weren't willing to do to get a job. So then the question became, well, what are you willing to do to get the things you really want in life as opposed to just surviving? Wow, that's pretty profound. So let's dig into the first week, two weeks, maybe a month of being full-time in, in real estate. So Nobody's expecting you to show up at eight or nine a.m. and stay until five. You're setting your own hours, setting your own goals and objectives, and keeping yourself on track, managing your employees. You know all the things. You're you're taking the reins. So, what does that look like? What did that look like for you to make sure you're getting things done and not wasting your time or focusing on the wrong things and just keep moving forward? Well, I didn't have any employees when I first made the transition and I did all the things you just said. I, I wasted a ton of time. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do, right? Because it's it's weird. You go from, I mean, I've been working since I was 13 years old. So I never had a problem showing up and, and putting in work. But when you go to an environment where um, it's just you and you know, there's stuff to do, right? Like let's underwrite some deals. Let's put in some offers. But if I didn't have deals to underwrite or I didn't have anything to put an offer in, it's like, all right, well, what do I do? Do I just call people? Like, well, like, so that first month, I I really felt like I was just doing stuff, right? But not really, not really building the business, not necessarily having a clear strategy of what I was doing or why I was doing it. I just felt like I needed to be busy. So anything that made me feel busy made me feel better. But I realized that I wasn't really making the kind of progress that I was supposed to be making as an entrepreneur. And I would say that I think if you come from W2 environment to, you know, full-time entrepreneur and you don't already have all those things set up as far as what your day looks like, your schedule, like your team, like, hey, on Tuesdays, here's what our priorities are. If you don't have that, definitely want to take the time to understand what is it that you do as a company? How do you generate income and focus on those things? I think the most important thing I learned was that as an entrepreneur, your number one job is to make money. It's not to underwrite deals. It's not to make calls. It's not to record podcasts. All those things are fine and they can help to lead to make money. But as an entrepreneur, you're trying to problem solve and you're trying to generate income. And early on, I didn't fully comprehend that. Right. I was, I was just kind of doing stuff. I was doing the stuff I was doing before, but I didn't fully comprehend that. Oh, there's no check coming in on the 15th and 30th just because it's the 15th and 30th. Like I've got to actually go solve someone else's problem in order to generate an income. So 
that's the biggest thing is that when you make that transition and you don't have that check coming in, you can quickly watch savings start to doodle if you don't have that plan in place. And again, we're all shooting for the stars, looking for that next deal or looking for, you know, that that big project. Um, and this is true whether you are a creative and you're, you know, you're an artist and you're creating something. But if you don't have a means to get paid regularly, then you've got to make sure you're focusing your energy, your effort on generating income, not necessarily just doing big picture, visionary type tasks. You found yourself in this situation where, okay, not working on the right things, you're still putting in the hours, but I imagine at some point you have this realization that I'm not headed in the right direction. I need to reassess, but also probably the most important thing in this equation, other than keeping a roof over your heads and staying fed and everything was making sure you still had time with your family and, and everything along those lines. How did you avoid the trap of working a hundred hours a week? Or did you avoid that at first? Maybe you fell into it. How do you prioritize life and family along with this new full-time at the time real estate business that you had, you know, taken a leap on? Well, I think the first thing is understanding that time is somewhat fluid, right? So when we talk about time, when you're an entrepreneur, the time doesn't really matter. What I mean by that is to say, no one cares that you spent 10 hours researching something, right? E either you you have a product or service that people want, or you don't, or they don't know about it, right? And that's it. So it's results-oriented, the amount of time and effort and energy you put into it. Um, I mean, no one really cares, right? This is not a, a e for effort situation. So either you're solving problems or you're not. So for me, when you think about time, one thing I did was I, I time blocked my calendar. The one thing that I was very adamant about was I wanted my day to end when my kids came home from school. So the last meetings I would take of the day ended at four o'clock. I would not record podcasts after four o'clock. I wouldn't do anything after four o'clock. Now, later in the evening, once I put my kids to bed, I could spend another hour or so working if I needed to. But that was really important for me to have that time from like 4 p.m. to say 9 p.m. Clear to be with my family, doing any activities that they have, going out to dinner, all that kind of stuff. So it made me focus on being more efficient throughout the day. You know, what can we do throughout the day? Um, what do I need to spend this time? And, and keep in mind, too, like coming from the W-2 job where I only had maybe, you know, one hour throughout the day to maybe work on real estate. The rest of my time was in the evening. For me, it was like, oh, and I've got seven hours, which may not seem like a lot of time, but I'm like, I have seven hours today to work on real estate. So when you go from one to seven, it's like, oh, well, I only needed three today or four today. So that's what I'm saying. It was a challenge to say, okay, no, it's not about the three to four. You're building a business, which means you have to focus on those things. So um, the big thing I did was manage my schedule, which again, it took probably about a month or so to start to understand what I was supposed to be doing with my time. Uh, managing the schedule, getting Calendly was huge because that allowed me to time block because of what I realized is people call me whenever and I would take calls whenever, right? I'd take calls whenever someone called or I would call them or, or wanted to record. So I was like, no, you know what? Here's the times I'm available to record. Here are the times that I'm available to talk to, you know, potential clients. Here's the time I'm talking to uh, potential investors. And that gave me more control over how I spent it. Here's a time that I designated to be creative, to create content, to, to write, to underwrite deals. So taking control over my schedule gave me more power. And then it also allowed me to see where I needed to spend more of my time. Okay, hey, you know what? We're not spending enough time doing this, or I need to carve out more time for this, or you know what? I need to stop doing this activity and start doing that activity. 
but just start starting to create kind of that outline of what the time looked like was huge. And it took, like I said, at least one month to start to realize where I was wasting time, but then also to figure out where I needed to spend more of my energy. Hindsight is a very powerful thing. And looking back, I think it's easy for us, no matter who we are, to see missteps that we made along the way, or not even missteps, just uh, suboptimal steps that yeah. if they were optimal, we could have gotten to our goal sooner. So what are a couple of missteps or suboptimal steps that in hindsight, if you had made differently, could have gotten you full-time a year, two years, three years earlier than you did? I mean, looking at substantial potential improvements, what could you have done differently? So there's a theme to mine, and it's basically trying to do it myself. So um, when it comes to real estate investing, I spent a year uh, from the time I hired you know, my coach, same coach you've got, right? Um, I spent a year looking and analyzing deals, you know, running the numbers, touring properties, and putting in offers, all that, trying to figure, find a deal that didn't pencil. Because the deals I was doing by myself, I didn't have to worry about giving 50 to 70% of the profits to somebody else, right? So for me to find a deal where I could deliver an 8% return annually, um, I'm not going to say it was easy because that was hard, but I could find it. But when you're looking for a deal where you could give 7 to 8% annually, and that's only 50 to 70% of the profit. So now I really need a deal that's in the 10 to 13 or 14% annually for me to get something. Well, that was a lot harder. And at that time, I wasn't really banking on appreciation and those things. It was really just like in place cash flow or maybe, you know, if I could go in and push rents. So I spent a year doing that, right? And not really understanding value add from that standpoint. Uh, it wasn't until I decided to partner with other people and be a general partner on the team as opposed to being the 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 sole sponsor that we started to get traction. So that's the first thing is just partner with people, be, be open to partner with people, be open to working with investors. Uh, that took some time for me to process. The second thing is scaling my business, you know, wanting to, not even wanting to, but feeling like I had to do it by myself, maybe having a bit of a scarcity mindset, meaning that, okay, hey, I just left my W-2 job. I only have so much income. I don't want to spend this hiring someone else. Um, but the reality is I was spending so much time doing these tasks that I wasn't focused on the income generating activities. So as an entrepreneur, that's what I should have been focused on are the things that generate revenue for the business, not writing show notes, right? And I spent a lot of Monday nights, 2 a.m., writing show notes um, and trying to figure out that aspect of the business. Writing show notes does not pay bills, right? Like it just, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't even help drive the listenership of your show. It, it's just, it's, you got to have it. But I was spending way too much of my time and energy um, doing things like that. So learning that, being willing to accept something being done 70 to 80% or maybe even 90% to the ability that I think I could have done it or I would have done it uh, was big. But also finding people who could do things better than me. You know, and recognizing that. And ideally, you're not making a sacrifice. You're actually finding someone who can do something better than you could do. Uh, so we just think, started to think about the business from that standpoint. If I would have done that from the jump, I would have absolutely been able to, to quit and leave my job a year or two years earlier than when I did. But it's, it's, I think it's tough when you are thinking about making that investment uh, because you want to see that return on investment and you recognize that you also have to be very patient on that. And when you're, when you're working with a finite amount of capital, 
it's hard to reconcile that, right? Because it also feels like, well, maybe I'm not working hard enough. And if you have some time, yeah, you can write the show notes or yeah, you can do this or yeah, you can underwrite more deals yourself. Why pay somebody to do something? But there's also that quality of life. And I think that's where that balance comes in. It's like, if I'm working 15 hours a day, even 12 hours a day, even if we're getting the results, like, how is this different from me being in corporate America? Like, the whole point of this was to have more, more time freedom, more flexibility with the schedule. And if I have to work that hard or that many hours, then I'm not doing something right. And the whole point of being an entrepreneur is to create jobs, right? Is to allow money to flow. And by me being able to pay someone else, it should allow me to create opportunities for people are going to pay us. And it's an ecosystem. And if you think about it as an ecosystem, you're less worried about what you have in your hands at any given moment of time because you know you can always earn more. So it just, it just, it's, it sucks when you're, you know, again, when you're trying to quit your job, you're looking at what you have in your account and how long you can live and, you know, okay, I got six months, I got nine months, I got a year, whatever it is. Um, so it's tough to say, great, I'm going to pay someone a $60,000 salary to do this job, even though that's maybe half of what I got saved up, right? Um, but I think understanding that mentality and being able to adjust, but also being able to 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 move quickly. If you're not getting the results or you, you realize you hired the wrong person, um, to be able to make that pivot and say, hey, you know what? I don't think this is working out. Let's find somebody else who has this role. And for you to get a little clearer or that job description or, or who that person is that's going to help you. I love it. So many great insights there and a lot of, you know, inspiring things. I think taking that action in particular and being inspired by our uh, mutual mentor, the successful folks I've seen take action so incredibly quickly and learn and iterate. My goal personally is to emulate that as best I can. It's probably my biggest lesson out of that. But uh, anyway, such great knowledge. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Did you know that you can use your IRA to invest in real estate? Many real estate investors, myself included, use our self-directed retirement accounts to invest our retirement in real estate. You just need a custodian that allows you to self-direct your investments. That's why we've partnered with Rocket Dollar. Rocket Dollar is a technology-enabled self-directed IRA, and a solo 401k provider that puts your retirement funds in your control. Our listeners can open a Rocket Dollar self-directed IRA for as little as $15 per month, plus a one-time setup fee. Just go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com Rocket or click the link in the show notes. They have a fantastic knowledge base and a lot of guides to help you through the process and teach you all about how self-directed retirement account investing works. Once again, just go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash rocket or click the link in the show notes. All right, John, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before you've answered those questions. I got three fresh ones for you. Are you ready? I am ready, man. Great. What is your number one book recommendation for someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? If someone wants to follow my foot, footsteps, the number one book I can recommend is the best ever apartment syndication book by Joe Fearless, our, our mutual mentor. Um, it's a phenomenal read. It, Joe does an excellent job. Joe and Theo Hicks, they do an excellent job of laying out kind of the process at a high level, getting into some of the specific details 
And it's a roadmap for you. So if you really want to learn about apartment syndication, even as a passive investor, if you want to be an LP and think about, hey, this is a good market to invest in, or what should I look for in an operator? Or, hey, is this still a good deal? That book has a lot of great gems. So I would highly recommend that book if you are interested in following my path. Totally agree. Very accessible writing in that book as well. And I've got my copy on the, the shelf behind me here. So number two, who inspires you? Oh, man. Um, inspiration from a lot of different people. I, I don't know where to start. I'll give you one that may not be um, um, common or, or uh, maybe a little odd for people, but uh, Deion Sanders, <laughs> Coach Prime. And um, there are a couple things, you know, uh, I was a big Deion Sanders fan as a kid, um, but and, and I get he's got a big personality and he, you know, may be off putting to, to some people. But the thing is, if you if you understand him and dig in a little bit more, um, he he never, to my understanding and anything I've seen, talks negatively about his opponents. Um, he also is has always been very encouraging to the next generation. Um, he's one of those players who even before he had his own, you know, football academy and things like that. He was uh, teaching other young players how to play the position. Hey, if you see this, you do that. So it's always been a mentor. And, um, you know, I, I think the thing is the confidence that he has. And, you know, I talk a lot about confidence and how important it is to be successful in, in raising capital, working with investors. But it has to be real confidence. And that's the thing that I don't think, think people understand is this is a guy who has mastered the game of football, right? And, and specifically the quarterback position. And when he's talking about those things and he's talking about what he wants to do, he's not bragging. He, he's, he's confident in a way that we're just not used to seeing somebody be that confident because he knows his stuff. And I think it's really important for us to not allow someone else's confidence to impact the way we view ourselves. And that's one of his quotes is, don't let my confidence make you feel insecure. And that's what happens to a lot of people is that when you get around those folks who are super successful, super knowledgeable, or good at their jobs, or good at whatever, it may make us internalize that. And the reality is we should draw inspiration of not just what we see on the exterior, but how did this person get that way? What kind of work did they do? What kind of research did they do? How how did they train, right? Like, that's what we should be taking away from it. And he's a person who has been very open and sharing, like, here's how I did this, and here's how I did that. And I think that's the thing that's missing from us, from a lot of people, is when we see people who are great or people who are very confident, um, it may bring out some of our own insecurities. And, it's, you know, no one wants to talk about their own insecurities, right? But that's the truth of it, right? The truth is, if you're hating, you're probably hating because you're insecure about something that you don't have in your own life. And we may dismiss it to say, oh, does he really need a helicopter? Oh, does he really need this? Or does he really need that? And I'm speaking in generalities, but my point is, let that person, whoever it is, let them be. But if it's, if it's, you're really upset about something you lack in your own life, be honest with yourself so you can adjust it and get what you want. So I just love him for that. And like I said, some, some stuff I don't disagree, uh, I don't agree with at all, but I appreciate the, the brash and the direct approach, which is, again, is never demeaning. Uh, it's just done in a way that I think people can draw inspiration, allow them to build and walk in their own confidence. Love it. Third question, last question. Think about 80-year-old John. What Ooh. does he have to say to John of today? Positive, negative, what are you doing right? Anything. What is his advice to you? Oh, man, 80-year-old John. Um, that's, a, that's a 
Good and tough question. Uh, what I would what I would hope he would say is I think he'd be very proud of the sacrifices that we made early on. I think he would be, I would hope that he'd be a proud grandfather, maybe even a great grandfather at that point. And looking at the family that we've, that we've built, I say we, I guess that he's built, I've built, he, he built. You and your wife, how's that? How, the, the, there you go. There you go. There you go. Um, but I would also say, you know, he'd probably give me some words of encouragement and, and, and some co- words of culture. You just say, keep at it, you know, keep at it. You know, keep hustling, keep going, keep grinding, and believe and, and think bigger. You know, I think we always, you and I, we're around people who who are playing the game at a big level, and I think sometimes it's you feel like you've reached a level, um, but there's always another level up, like like a video game. So uh, there's another level up, and to to be confident enough in not just who I am, but how resourceful uh, I could be to achieve at the highest level so that would be the thing but more than anything i I would hope that he's proud of the man i I am at this stage of my life and the man that i have become to be over the next 40 years i love it well john thanks so much for joining us today sharing about your journey and so much knowledge if folks want to learn more about you or track you down where can they find you on the internet yeah, so listen, uh, my show is called Multifamily Insights. You've been a great guest on that podcast as well. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, check out Multifamily Insights. And then we have some free content on our website. Uh, go to kasmancapital.com. We have a sample deal package on our website available. If you want to be a passive investor and want to get your head, head wrapped around like different deal structures and things like that, you can download that. Or if you want to be an active investor, but check that out at kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. Awesome. Well, thanks once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one.